All right, let me just get this all hooked up. Okay. Here we go. Good afternoon, Blue Ridge Church. Uh, it's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having uh, myself and Katie here. I have a microphone. I don't know if I need to use it. I don't know if I'm more like Edison or like Leah or what. Wow. Let's see if this works. Were you a frog, Leah? Um, I was a student basketball. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. I don't know if this is... I'm going to have to hold it like this. Why? I'm just going to talk, okay? So that sounds good. Amen. Um, it's been, it, it, it's so good to be back. I, I, I'm class of uh, 2011. I uh, got to JMU 2006. And I do not care what you were doing in 2006, particularly if you were, you were a student right now. I don't want to know that you were in elementary school. I don't care. Um, I was in college, and it was awesome. Uh, it's so good to be back. Uh, I spent five years in this church. I am so grateful um, for how this church, particularly, I, I look around and there are so many friends, so many relationships that have shaped me, molded me, that have picked me up off the ground after I've been shattered into about a million pieces. Uh, Bobby Pearson's done that a bunch of times. Come on, Bobby. Uh, and uh, just so good, you know, uh, uh, Rashad and, and Devonda and, and Thomas and Evie and Jackie and I keep, go, keep going around and it's, uh, oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional. Uh, it, just, I, I'm so grateful for this church. It's so good to be back. Come it's been, on. I think, six years since I've uh, preached you guys. So I'm going to try to do better this time so I'm going to be back sooner. Um, amen. Thank you so much. It's an awesome service so far. Didn't, uh, didn't Charlie and Monica do an awesome job yeah. in the community? And um, yeah, Charlie looks like you look like you're Captain Kirk from Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> but like, like also the uniform too. Like you're just one little kid away from it, man. And anyway, I thought I'd run you through a little bit. In a 2006, this kid um, ended up coming to James Madison University. That's me as a freshman, full of life and energy and vigor. Um, yeah, I, I could jump really high. My, that's pretty high for white guy, right there. No, I jumped off that car. <laughs> but it looks like I can jump pretty high. Uh, this is actually me as a freshman uh, going to a campus swap to uh, uh, Ohio State University. And um, I think I'm 18 years old in this picture. And uh, full of life. They, they made fun of me all the time for just acting so young and being so young. And, and I was. This is a long time ago. But this is me. I arrived. And I was full of energy, full of youth, full of vigor and excitement. A couple years later, I ended up uh, becoming an intern with one of my best friends. The church somehow, through like prayer and fasting and input, decided they wanted these two guys to run their ministry. And I don't know what they were thinking. And this is actually, this, this picture is actually a Thomas's baptism, by the way. This, Thomas got baptized at like one in the morning at the Booker's house. Yeah. We were, we're so excited because Thomas is getting baptized, but we are so weird because it's late, but also we're weird. So, and that hair, I, I don't know. I asked people in my ministry back then, I'm like, how did you let me have hair like that? Friends don't let friends have hair that look like that. And they're all like, yeah, it didn't seem that bad at the time. I'm like, you knew, you're terrible. And uh, you know that was that was a big step for me, being uh, going going on staff as an intern for the church and growing my faith a ton. A couple other highlights: I'll show you the third greatest day of my life. We still won. Come on, baby! <laughs> won that day. Drew was there as well. 
This, if you don't know what this is, this is James Madison University beating Virginia Tech in football. We looked down at our, we were like, we will never forget this day. We were there, we watched it happen. And we're like, we'll never forget September 11th. Come on. It was September 11th, 2010. And we were like, dang it. But we still remember. And it was an awesome day, great day for, for us. It's me, James, this is Cameron Fortenberry down here, if you know him. Yes, we have our heads shaved into Mohawks. And uh, I wish I hadn't chosen that picture because it's terrible, but that's what's on Facebook. And, uh, you know, we, a lot of great memories through all that. I finally did graduate in 2011. Uh, this is, uh, this is, okay, it's funny. Steven's cousin, Andrew Rafi. This is Amy's sister-in-law, uh, Elena, and that's me. And we all graduate at the same time. And, and now he married her, and they have a kid. And she married him, and they have a kid. And I don't need that kind of pressure, so. <laughs> It's awesome. For, for me, I'm like, uh, this school, this church, the time of my life changed me from, from top to bottom, uh, was my crucible at times, and was my training ground, was my gymnasium. It was the thing that, that actually, I, I go back, and now almost all the stories that I tell are times back at JMU. Wow. And here's what we did, and here's what was stupid, and here's what was awesome, and here's how God was faithful. And, and uh, so it's just so great to, for us to be back here today. Uh, thanks so much to the Minds for having us back, and we're grateful for them and their friendship. And now we're going to get into the lesson. You guys okay with that? Yeah. Good. Today I'd like to reclaim a word. I'd like to reclaim a word that at one point in history would have launched an army into the jaws of hell to fight for a cause. Because of this word, men and women have been pierced by knives, arrows, swords, and bullets from their enemies. This word has toppled empires and has established dynasties. But in our world, this word has been sucked dry and reduced to a cliche that gets pasted on books that no one reads. Mm. This word is hope. Yeah. I'm not gonna get political or anything like that, but the idea of hope has been in our culture for the last few years. Hope allows us to believe what others are too afraid to believe. And it drives us to do the actions that we would never take by ourselves. It drives our feet into the ground and makes us stand firm when everything is coming at us. But I think for far too many of us, hope, hope is just like a, kind of a, a big wish for most of us. Wow. You know, like I hope that happens. Yeah. You know, every year I'm a Redskins fan. It teaches me a lot about hope. It teaches me a lot about disappointment. I hope every year, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year. I've been a Redskins fan since 1999. There is not a lot to show for that. <laughs> Where's your hope today? What do you understand hope is? Because I think for some of us, we know the Bible says hope does not disappoint. But unfortunately, the only thing that our hope does is disappoint us. Yeah, and today on. we're reclaiming the concept of hope, <laughs> redefining it, reshaping it, and actually giving it back to you the way that God meant it to be. And we're going to do that by looking at Ephesians 1. So go ahead and turn on over there. Right. You guys are going through the book of Ephesians, which is an awesome book. 
It's uh, claimed by scholars to be one of Paul's masterpieces. It's short, sweet, to the point, but there's so much in it. And I think you spent a bunch of time, you just finished up Paul's 200-word eulogy. Not the eulogy like somebody died, but literally, in Greek, eulogy, good words. Basically a, a benediction, kind of like a, here's the good stuff that's going on in your life. It's like the good version of the State of the Union, where they'll tell you all the good stuff, rather than all the stuff that's messed up. And so, once he finishes that, Paul transitions, and he goes, okay, so that's what's going on, and it's sweet, and it is awesome, and you should be fired up about that, but now I'm going to start praying for you, which is another part, a hallmark of Paul's letters. He tells you what's up, and then he offers a prayer. So we're going to read that. Sound good? Yeah. Oh, good. Open your Bibles. Ephesians 1, <coughs> verse 15. It says, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that we, I'm so sorry, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians church. Now, I don't all know we're supposed to pray for each other, but what are those prayers usually like for us? God, I pray that you just be with Gracia, help her to be encouraged and make it through that one thing she's got going on. And, you know, God, I just pray that Edison, you know, just get, gets over that one thing and uh, just be with him, God. Yeah. This is a theological treatise that he's getting down for his, this entire church. You ever pray anything like that in your life? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'll just read that. That'll, that'll count, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Paul is getting down and he goes, well, sorry, what's going on here? Anyway, so Paul is going down and he's praying for them to get more intimate with God. Right. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at two separate things that are going, two points that will hopefully help us develop and create that same hope that Paul was trying to establish in the Ephesian church. Right. First point is to have eyes wide open. You want to have hope, you got to have eyes wide open. So Paul is praying. There's the slide I was looking for. And what is he, what is he actually praying for? Well, let's take a look at verse 17. You know, so I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Okay, so basically, I just want you to know God better. That's all. I just want you to know him intimately, closely. Mm -hmm. And then I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called. And he goes on. 
The idea is, I want you to be enlightened. I want you to know what you need to know. To go into this with your eyes fully open, not having any kind of haze or foggy anything, but with such clarity that you get every little bit so that you can just know God intimately. What Paul is asking for, and, and by the way, so scholars go back and forth, is it that your eyes are already enlightened or that you might be enlightened? I'm not exactly sure. The language gets a little foggy there. I think it's actually more the second one that you, your eyes have been enlightened. You do know about God, but you might have like a, you know, all, all you've got is a, a little like picture, you know, of God. That you know enough to come to him and know like I need Jesus but it's not the full picture. Yeah. What Paul is going for is he wants you to be enlightened with like a 3D, like 9D. You know, that's right. So many dimensions. We're like bending time and space. <laughs> IMAX, 4K, HD, surround sound, in your face, every angle. For, uh, literally, the maximum amount that you can take in. That's what Paul wants. And that's what God wants. Amen. To have this full picture. Not a space man, but of Jesus, you know. And I, I think too often we live our lives with Jesus in a little box. Yeah. Like a picture on a mantle. Mm-hmm. Or maybe on a wall. Static. Right. And, or maybe it, like, it comes out on Sundays. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's filling every space, every place, every nook and cranny of our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but God's like, I want it everywhere. I want you to have clarity on every level. And what does he want? Well, he wants you to understand a few things. Let's take a look here. I pray that the uh, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants us to know the hope, the riches, and the power of God. I just stand here and, and, and ask you, do you feel like you have an IMAX view of these things about God? Question. About the hope that is called? And here's, here's where I'd like to talk a little bit about hope. So our version of hope is an anemic version of hope. Like has no power, been stripped of its power. It is that, you know, like I said, the Redskins, I hope every year and they disappoint me every year. That's not the hope that the Bible talks about. In Greek, the idea is, is the, the word hope is the word elpis or elpizo. And it actually, and, um, but Paul's coming from a more Hebrew mindset, which is the Old Testament idea of hope. Now, what's the difference? Well, for the Old Testament people, the, the Hebrew people, they looked at the idea of hope not as something that they wish might happen, but as an absolute certainty that it would happen. And all hope was, was an eager expectation of what was coming. Brothers, are you eagerly anticipating watching the Super Bowl later? You know it's going to happen. You don't know who's going to win. For us, our 21st century, you might hope that the Falcons finally beat the Patriots and, you know, that just to have somebody other than Tom Brady lift the trophy. Or maybe you just hope that Tom Brady gets his, you know, last ring and that he becomes the, the undisputed greatest of all time. But that's, that's our 21st century hope. The first century hope is, I know the game is coming. It's going to happen. This is going to be played. That kind of certainty, that is the hope 
that God has called us to, to eagerly anticipate and await e eagerly what God is going to do in your life. Amen. Not just like, oh, I wonder he might do something. No, he is going to do something. He's going to do something epic. He is going to change everything. He is going to come back and establish his kingdom. It's going to happen. It's not maybe, I hope, fingers crossed, knock on wood, let's go. But I've got plan B, C, D, and E just to make sure i got backup plans on backup plans. No, this is happening. They would be as hopeful of the sun rising. It's like, I just know that's going to happen. That if I, fall, if I come up, I'm going to drop. That's how certain they were. They were certain like that. That was hope. I had the hope of gravity. That's how it's supposed to be with God. But I don't think that's how we are. We'll yeah. get to that in a second. Yeah. The idea of the riches. The, the glorious inheritance. The riches that are coming. How God wants to absolutely pour out blessing on blessing on blessing onto his people. He wants you to know exactly what that is, that you're not in some kind of self-help thing, that maybe you get a 5% increase in your life satisfaction score, that there's incomparable riches. Wow. And on top of that, there's power. Wow. Not political power, not military power, but the power that God has to not only change your life, but all of your loved ones. The people that you know that actually can fulfill the life, the one that you were designed and meant to live, the one that you're trying to figure out for yourself right now, and the one that this entire world is trying to figure out, God has the power to establish all of that. Wow. Can you imagine how your life would be different if you had an IMAX version of all those things? Right. That is what this whole book is about. This whole book is trying to give you an IMAX view of right. that. Now, my first point about eyes wide open is not just you need to see those things. I actually think it's more helpful not just to say, well, you need to appreciate this. They're like, oh, thank you, Matt. Great. Okay, good. I'll do that. Good, good point. Good talk. I think it's more helpful to figure out, okay, what stops us yeah. from looking at that? What limits our vision? And I think there are two things. Number one, we think that those things, that hope, those riches, that power is just not true. We don't think that God has that power. We don't think we have that hope. And we don't think he's got that, those riches. Those are not for us. Or two, we might think, okay, there, he's got some riches. He's got some power. He's got some hope. But it's just not that great. Now, go down these two things. <coughs> you know, thinking that, that God's promises aren't true or that God doesn't, you know, the, the hope, that certainty is not true. It makes sense. You know, a lot of us, what, what that means is that, like, hey, I'm just not believing the hype about the Bible. Why does a 2,000-year-old Jewish contractor have anything to do with my life? Why on earth could he tell me how to have a happy life here in the 21st century, 2,000 years later? Could be that, like, hey, some of you students in here, you're like, okay, I hear these, these promises. I hear the hope that you got. But all you're seeing is, like, yeah, but have you seen my chem syllabus? Oh my gosh, I got issues there. And all these things, you know what? I need to just focus in on that. That's where my hope lies, right. doing well in my classes. You know, maybe we read some of the specific things in the Bible. We see like, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, I don't know, God. Maybe I'm trying to keep pure, but all I see is my own loneliness. And I don't want anything to do with that. That doesn't even make sense, God. What do you mean? I'm going to see you if I stay pure, if I, you know, all my relationships, 
my sexual purity is all right. Maybe we just don't buy it. Because our 21st century world says, no, 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 this is how you have to live. And it pushes us into its mold. You know, we, you read the Bible, and then there's, sometimes there's some of, some of the ones that are like, you know, it sounds great. Love your enemies, right? There's hope in that. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, but what if it's like your husband who's not listening to you? Does that love your enemies thing still sound good? Or your wife is disrespecting you, for those of you that are married? Well, that sounds great. Or you got that one guy that's getting in your face, whether it's on the basketball court. Loving your enemies doesn't sound good anymore. Or maybe it's like your roommates that have somehow not ever figured out how to operate a sponge. <laughs> they have enough to open up a bed, bath, and beyond as the, you know, the dishes are soaking for a week. <laughs> and they're still soaking, they're still soaking. Like, I'm about to punch you, come on now. <laughs> Loving your enemies doesn't sound great. We go here and we can doubt the hope that God wants to give us because we think it just doesn't make sense. If you've ever thought, I mean, the Bible's not really that relevant, or that maybe that was helpful back then, but culturally now we've changed. Have you ever thought that, hey, I get you, I've been there. I've thought that many, many, many times. Come on, Matt. Now, here's the thing. If, that, if that's you and you're sitting here, we're so glad you're here. I want to ask you, beg you, study the Bible. Because people that, have it, that, that say this probably have never actually put those promises to the test. And how do you test anything? You're scientific, I bet you. You believe in science. You gotta set up an experiment. How do you do that? Well, the Bible says, hey, if you do this, I'll come through on this. So you do that part, and watch God come through on that part. Talk about it. But if we just say, hey, it's not true because I don't really feel like it, well, then you basically say, I know better than God. Wow. And more importantly than that, maybe that's not even an issue for you. It's more like, you know what? I know best about my life. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I get you. I hear that. That's a 21st century, very, very like, you know, I work with campus kids. I hear that all the time. And I'm like, okay. So how's that work for you so far? Are you at where you plan to be? Those relationships that you, you're like, I know how to do this. How'd that end up? Maybe it's time to put God in the driver's seat Amen. and for you to not get in the co-pilot seat, but you get in the back yeah. and you belong. Oh, and you yeah. say, like, take me where you want to go. And you know what? I trust that. Right. We're not saying you trust it forever without any, any proof. What I'm saying is that God's going to show you the proof that you got to put into practice. Yeah. Amen. Come on. Yeah. Amen. That's the idea. But you got to not just get over it, but you got to push through the initial little bit of doubt. It's okay to have doubt, but it's not okay to stay in doubt. The second part, I think, is actually, this is for more people that that come from religious backgrounds, that have been around God's promises for a while, around this, the notion of hope, that God's going to come through for you in a while. This is actually, I think, where Satan wants every single one of us. You don't doubt that the Bible is the word of God. You're like, all right, I get that. I'll give you that. That exists. All that stuff exists. It's awesome, you know, or at least it's true. And then you put it into practice, and you do it, and then you know what happens? It's not as great as you thought it was going to be. Right. You're like, it's hard. Yep. 
You know, at first you're like, this is awesome, we're going to go, and I'm going to make disciples of all nations, and surely he is with me always to the very end of the age, and it's going to be great, I'm going to be on fire going Mach 5 with my hair on fire, and it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to go to this place and this place, and all these people are going to want Jesus, and then it happens that you get out there, and somebody gets in your face, and you're like, I don't want any of that, and you're stupid. And you're like, this is hard. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. And then we start going, okay, you know what? I've, I've, you know, it says, seek first the kingdom is righteousness. So all these things will be given to you. I've been seeking. I've been seeking first. I've been coming to church. I've been reading my Bible. But still, I don't have the job that I want. My GPA is not where I want it to be. I didn't get that internship. I am still single. Mm. 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 <laughs> where is God giving me all these things that I'm asking for as well and then you start going you know what let me, let me see if I can do both I can go to church wow. and I can read my bible but I can also nag me of women. Yeah. Wow. I can also I can put Jesus first but I also can put my school first mm. Jesus can have Sundays and Wednesday nights and maybe some Fridays and then school gets the rest of it let, let, let me be clear, you know, just, just this is a side point. This is not my main point. But, look, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, okay, you are not a student who happens to be a disciple. You're a disciple who happens to be a student. Amen. You're a disciple who happens to be in that club that you're in or in band, or on the football team, or in that honor society, or in the glee club, or around the chess team, or whatever. And you are not a parent who happens to be a disciple. You are a disciple who happens to be a parent. Amen. That goes for all of us. That discipleship makes its way into everything that we do. Yeah. Side point, but amen. But what happens is we start to pull back on that, and we start to go, you know what? I can supplement what God's not given me. Yeah. Right. Rather than hopefully waiting for him to come through. For me, I had this refined right here. You go to JMU, you know exactly where this is. This is like right over there. This is Carrier Library. And the reason I come here is, it, this is not like one story for me. I was here for five years. And this place right here was the place that I, I feel like God taught me about having to stand firm. I was a freshman, okay? And you can get a freshman to do like anything. Freshmen are weird. Come on, freshman. I went out there. I was at my ministry at the time. Was, um, it was me, one guy, and eight girls. And uh, so I went out. I was like, I'm, I'm going to go share my faith with every dude out there because I wanted a best friend because it was either find somebody to you know, be your best friend or get used to a lot of estrogen in your life. <laughs> and then the answer was, why not both? Um, so, but I was out, I literally out there for hours and hours. And, and my mindset was, are you my best friend? Nope. Are you my best friend? Nope. Are you my best friend? Never found my best friend, by the way. But I was out there. Okay. A couple years later, that, that's not where it was, it was forged, though. Three years later, I remember this. It was um, my junior year. And I remember going out there, and this is after a couple years, we had a couple people move in, but I wasn't seeing the, the fruit of people becoming Christians the way I wanted to. But I knew I needed to go and make disciples, because that's in there, Matthew 28, 18-20. And I remember, it was actually right over here, by this bike, not through that bike, but that bike rack. And 
this guy, I, I talk to him, and he lays into me, rips me to shreds, tells me I'm, I'm forcing my worldview on him, I'm, I'm close-minded, I'm narrow-minded, and, and honestly, like, you know, it was one of those times where he basically called Jesus evil. I walked away from that conversation, and I went and sat on this bench over here, and I, I, I pouted. I was like, what am I doing? What, what, why do I sign up for this? Right. I like sign up. Yes, I would like to be verbally abused. Anyone with me? No, just me. I'll take it. Whew. That, I was like, what, what is going on? And I was trying to hold on to this passage. In Galatians 6, verse 9, it says, the, the harvest will come at the proper time if we do not give up. And I'm trying to hold on to this. And I'm like, God, it's been three years of working my tail off at this school. I sat in Wilson Hall and prayed for... 50, 100, thousands of people. I prayed that God would fill up the stadium with disciples one day. And there I am three years later, pouting, but still very disheartened. I'm like, where is the fruit? You broke your promise. And here I am getting beat up every day for you. What are you doing? Fine. Back, from that point, actually from that point, that led me to a backing off. I didn't stop sharing my faith completely. But something had broken that day. And it actually led me to my biggest blow up in my entire life. My entire life in, indulged in, 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 in immorality as a disciple. Hypocrisy, impurity. My entire life just broken, lying on the floor. It wasn't like this was the one thing that did it. But that didn't help. That was me. And I, I think a lot of us can feel that way. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm like a really, really fragile little snowflake. <laughs> but I tend to think that I'm not the only one. I just want to ask you today, this afternoon, where is your hope? Where is your hope? Is it in your personal comfort? Is it in your financial stability? Is it in your relationship status? Is it in your GPA? It is, it, is it how good your marriage is? If you're not sure what it is, ask yourself this question, okay? What completes this sentence for you? Once I have blank, then everything will be okay. Whatever completes that sentence is what your hope is in. Mm. And if it's not Jesus, guess what your hope is not in? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. If there's something else that's essential to your happiness and it ain't Jesus, you ain't got your hope there. Right. And maybe you're sitting here wondering, I'm like, I'm not even sure. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm a Christian. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just, I, let me help you out. If you are not sure that you're a Christian, you're not. There's not that kind of gray in the Bible. But we're not here to judge you. We're here to help pe build people's faith and bring you back. Come on. Come on, Study the Bible with us. Let us show you what this looks like. Yeah. Let us show you what the hope of God really is. Not the cliche version that you can buy in the family Christian bookstore. The hope, and it's on a journal somewhere. Let's show you what the real hope of God is. Come on. Come on, man.
That's my first point. You got to have your eyes wide open. My second and way more uplifting point, like super more uplifting point, is number two, certain in Jesus. So we're back to these three things. Hope, riches, and power. All right, sounds good. I like that, Matt. That sounds good. Let's go back and read this passage. Let's read a little bit more about what's going on. What is that hope, that riches, that power? Really interesting, because maybe you're sitting here, and if you're a Christian or have been around you know, church a while, you might be thinking, oh, my hope is in heaven. Yes and no. Take a look here. It says, the, same, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What's our hope in? It doesn't say heaven. Our hope is in Jesus. The reason your hope is in heaven is guess who's in heaven? Jesus is in heaven. But more than that, how does that work, Matt? Am I just supposed to practice some mindfulness? Well, a little bit, but it goes deeper than that. Here's the depth. Jesus, the situation he was in, he was dead. Dead. Cursed. It was game over. Done. Good try, Jesus. It didn't work out. You are dead now. But Jesus still holds firm to the end. He could have cashed out at any point during that passion narrative. At any point in time, he could have said, Nope. Instead of having hope, which was originally one of my titles, but I thought that was cheesy. (laughs) But he could have said, nope, I am not getting arrested. He could have said, nope, I'm not getting deserted by my disciples. He could have said, nope, I am not going through a false trial where everybody else is saying false things about me and I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Nope, not doing it. He could have said, nope, when he was spat on. Hey, I'll do anything for y'all, but I won't do that. You're spitting on me now. He could have said nope when he was flogged to within an inch of his life. He could have said nope when he was being mocked by the very people that he was dying to save. He could have said nope when he was separated from God for our sins. He could have said nope at any point in time before he died. But he trusted in God until the end. And if you remember the stories, they mock him for that. They say he trusts God. His hope is in God. Mm -hmm. Let's see if he saves him. And he dies. I think for most of us, if we were going to do an analysis of Jesus at the end of his life, right there as he died, like, oh, Jesus, you got that one wrong. Bad choice. That did not work out for you. You should not have had hope in God like that. Maybe you should have been a bit wiser. Maybe you should have held back a little bit. Maybe you should have defended yourself a little bit. Maybe you shouldn't have upset the Pharisees so much like me. Or whatever that might have been. And here's the deal. As hopeless, because literally in the history of the world, do you know what happens when people die? They stay dead. There's a long history of dead people staying dead. And you know what? That hopeless situation, God's like, oh yeah, oops. 
shrink. And he brings him, he raises him up, and not only, hey, you're back alive, but I'm going to make you king of everything. Okay, I just want to point this out because I'm a super nerd when it comes to Greek stuff. Paul uses four different words here that are like the same thing. He goes, look, far above in verse 21, all rule and authority and power and dominion. There are four different Greek words, but it's literally like the same thing. You could, it's, there's no point in using everything. What he's saying is every little bit of authority has been given to Jesus. Jesus literally went from the most pitiable, wretched, cursed man in the world to the most honored and powerful thing in creation. And if that is what God did when there was no hope whatsoever, then the good news is that no matter what's going on in your life, God can handle that too. That hopeless situation turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened. Yep. So what about all of your hopeless situations? Question. The literal hopeless situation was not hopeless. It was hopeful and what we actually base our hope on. Yeah. But for us, we go, oh no, I only have a, I only have a two, you know, well, I guess some of you guys, I only have a 3.2 GPA. My life is over. I don't know what you guys have. I, don't, I know there's UVA in the house. I don't know what you guys feel about that, but whatever. You put the little things in there like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have enough money in the bank. My life is over. I still don't have a relationship that lasts longer than three months. My life is over. I don't have the friends that I want. My life is over. Dead, not over. Yeah. Amen. But only when God is involved. This is a cosmic level hope that God is going to take whatever is going on and turn it into something that can be for good if you come to him. Mm -hmm. I want you to think, tomorrow you're going to have a moment and you're going to stand in front of your front door. Could be to your house, could be to an apartment, could be to a dorm. And you're going to step out this door or your door, and you're going to have issues come at you. Imagine if you had the certainty, the IMAX view, the IMAX vision, that God was going to take whatever happened and work it out to bring you close to him and for your good. Amen. All right, so just imagine that for a second, tomorrow morning. How would you act differently? What would that give you the courage to do? What would that give you the grace to do? How would you treat your coworkers differently? How would you pay attention in class differently? How would you interact with the strangers in the line at Starbucks with that kind of hope? How would you handle your finances when you take a look at those? How would you handle treating your spouse? You see what I'm saying? You're going to have a moment where you're able to take a step where you can stay where you are and take care of things yourself. Question is, what are you going to do? You know, my, my final charge for everyone is, you know, the practical amount of living by hope is pretty much this. God makes you lots of promises in that book that you be holding. Find one. Live up to your end of the promise. And see what he does. I know for me, it, like that, it's just a, a very simple exercise of finding a couple promises. Like the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. 
Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you give up everything, I will give you a hundred times more than what you left behind. Now, for some of us in here, you don't know the Bible well enough to know where any of the promises are. And so, you need to study the Bible. If you're visiting with us, okay, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. We're so glad you're here. We don't really care about you being in church, though. We want to study the Bible with you. We want to help you get into your life and show you the real version of all this. For me, I grew up going to church Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. I was an amazing all-star at church. I led the songs. I played Jesus and the skits and stuff like that. And then I went to school and I was an all-star hypocrite. You would have never thought that I ever set foot in a church, that, that God would allow me to come into a church with the way that I was treating people. Addicted to pornography, crazy, sketchy, like swearing all over the place, swearing at teachers, the biggest lie you've ever met. And it would have kept going if somebody hadn't said, hey, Matt, let's study the Bible. But they compared my life to what the Bible said and helped me live it out. Yeah. That's what we want to do for you. Please, when somebody asks you to study the Bible, say yes. Just, just, just say yes. It's like 40 minutes to an hour. Just grab coffee and give God that opportunity to show you what that hope is like. And for everybody in here that actually is a disciple, can you remember when you were excited about the promises of God? Remember that? When it was just like, oh my gosh, it's me and God out here. I love every second of every minute of every day. Colors are brighter. I'm hearing birds in the air. It's amazing. Because you're just like, what do I care? Jesus got me. I got these promises. And it's Satan that pulls us down from that and makes us doubt those. You know, the story for me of how God worked out that Galatians 6 chapter, or Galatians 6, 9 verse. the, The harvest did come at the proper time. Like I said, I prayed for hundreds, thousands of people to be impacted. And you know what? They were. Just not in my time. In this picture, and I tried to find a better picture of almost all of us, but I couldn't find one of everybody in this ministry. The people in this ministry that we graduated with and and the people that are not in this picture, so many of them went on to not just go into the ministry. A lot of them did go into the ministry. But a lot of people just went on to go and help and build churches. And, and at this point, I mean, like, went into the ministry. There's Jenny, went into the ministry. They did teen work for a while. She went into the ministry, does teen work. They lead in the Pittsburgh church. Obviously, Thomas and Ethan are doing great stuff here. Cole Seaball went into the ministry. I, I think that guy went into the ministry. Um, <laughs> just in this picture, thousands of people have been impacted. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to. I wanted my ministry. I wanted it to be here. I wanted JMU to be easy. I wanted my time here to be surrounded by people that were adoring me and affirming me and all those things. But what I got was God's real thing. He's like, this is the harvest that is going to come. And that's got to be the hope that God is going to do things in his time for the best. And I look back and I go, thank God he did it that way. Because I don't know what would have happened if he didn't. You want to have true hope? You got to take the leap. You got to hold on to the promises. Have your eyes wide open and have that certainty in Jesus. Amen.